Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Broadway Babble with me, Matt Barry. This week's episode is going to be a continuation of our talk on Gypsy with Hannah Weaver. Now remember, Gypsy premiered in 1959 with music by Jules Stein, lyrics by Stephen Sondheim, and a book by Arthur Lawrence. Gypsy, a musical fable, tells the story of Rose Havoc and her daughters, June and Louise, and Rose's eye on the prize to fame, whether through her or her daughters. Rose will stop at nothing to make her daughters famous, and has to pay the price at the end of it. So, let's continue while we talk about Act 2 of Gypsy. So let's babble with Hannah. And we're back. But so then we open act two and we get a little vaudeville number, but what's only important to note is it's um, uh, Madame Troy Adorables where she's, Rose is trying to adapt, but it's essentially it's an imitation of Dainty June and the Farm Boys, just with all girls and Louise as June. And you see how uncomfortable she is. Louise has no stage presence. Just one of the things that I just love about Louise. There's no, there's nothing there. No emotion. Like my, in Madame Tart, the only quote is when she's like, hello everybody, my name's Louise. What's yours? I love that. Hi, Louise. She's like mimicking the cadence, but without anything behind it. And that's so funny. Yeah. It's so effective. <laughs> so effective. Um, and it does lead us right into the next song because they haven't had any gigs in a while. Because someone has no state presence. Uh, and they're kind of down on their luck. And they sing this very uplifting song, Together Wherever. Wherever we go. Why do you think this song is included and maybe we didn't uh, and rather than like a, another solo why do we think this like small group number of the three is so i think this important? is this is one of the catchiest songs in the entire show and i think they it was thrown into kind of towards the beginning of act two to to give the audience a little boost kind of like the 11 o'clock number but like earlier on um act twos tend to drag especially if you have such a like long involved act one and i think this song is I don't think it's only put there for entertainment value, but I think that it's very effective in that regard. Um, but I think that it kind of juxtaposes like where we left off with act one, where like Louise and Herbie were literally clutching each other behind Rose. And this kind of has shown that progression, like, okay, like we're in this together. We've, we've accepted that we're, we're here. We're trying to be a family, at least Louise and Herbie are. Yeah. We're trying to make this work. And I don't think it has like a, an attitude of like resignation like it seems like they're happy to make this work um yeah so it's shown that kind of time has passed you know they've grown to accept that this is where they are they're going to make the best of it yeah i i agree i think this song i even have it in my notes i mean this song is uplifting and it's a way just to kind of ease back into the tragedy that this show is going to go into but what i also love again the lyrics are just so smart because even though it's playful and 
this song is more playful lyrically as compared to with uh, Small World and You'll Never Get Away, where Rose is very aggressive. But this one, the only aggressive parts I think you see is when Rose is saying like, You owe a trio and any I owe you, I owe you owe me owe. What's funny is Louise and Herbie never say anything I own, you own, Rose. It's basically saying, okay, they're together, but they know who's the captain and they're is no alternative yeah. there. They have they have accepted their fate. They here they are. They know it. Yeah. And they and don't I, seem to be terribly unhappy with it. No, they really they really don't because I think also for Louise, even though there is a semblance of family because Louise is the center of attention in a weird way, even though she doesn't want it. But she's like, oh they're caring for me. Yeah, she's getting her mother's love, which she didn't get before because June Got it. Did you know, like, when, do you know that Louise's, or in real life, Louise's name was June? No. Yeah, so Louise was the firstborn, obviously. Um, she was named June. And then when June was born, like, a year or two later, uh, the real Rose decided that the second born would be a better June. So she renamed Louise, and June was named June. Dear God, Mama Rose. Yeah. So I, that's one of my favorite facts about <laughs> That, yeah. Um, <laughs> so they don't know who they are or their birthdays. Um, and like she was obviously like grew up Louise. Obviously, like she was you know one or two when she was renamed. But um, I just think that's so wild. Like and and in this in this in the context of the song, like she's and the musical, not real life. She's gr- grown up like under her sister's shadow, and she hasn't gotten any attention from her mother, even though like Louise or June resented the attention. Louise like obviously still wanted something. Like she was neglected. She was like, you know, shoved in the pushed back, aside, yeah. um, pushed aside. And now I think even though she's being like forced to perform and stuff, which she doesn't want to do, she's, she's reveling in this like mother's love. Yeah. Which love is, is in air quotes. <laughs> inc- yeah. Cause it's Rose's love is just the love of the show and then she's the yeah. daughter's in it. But the one thing that I love in it is in the music and it is very hidden on the line. It. We all take the there's this one eerie violin that's just dissonant from everything else and again it just goes to show like just how smart they are that even though everything's uplifting like there's one thing off spot it audience and it gives you the clues but so then we have again rose is a one-track mind and she accidentally books louise at a burlesque show (laughs) And doesn't realize that. Yes, Herbie proposes. And, and she says, after we close. Yeah, she after says, we like, close. She says, this is yeah. it, after we close. So at this point, I, we've reached the 30s, and vaudeville is fully dead. on the decline. Yeah. Vaudeville's basically dead. Vaudeville acts are being booked into burlesque clubs to basically, like, ensure that burlesque clubs are not shut down, because if they have, like, a family-oriented act, they're not just a strip show. So... They're booked into these into the theater, and Herbie's like, "Oh hell no," and Rose is like, "Oh hell no," but they're gonna do it because money. And well, what's Rose- interesting is Louise is the one that convinces. Mm-hmm. She's like, "Mama, we need the money. I can do she's, it." She's level-headed. She's realizing, like, you know, she's they can do the show, and then that's it. They're done. Like, this is one last hurrah. They're gonna settle down. Louise is like, "This is the final push." Herbie's like, "We can do it." Rose agrees to it because I think she's finally, it's dawning on her that Vaudeville is dead and that she missed her shot three times around. Which is just sad. But then 
the last night comes and Rose is like, no, we're going to stay. And Herbie is just so disgusted by that, that Herbie's out and everybody's trash, like just tragic. But while Herbie and Rose are fighting outside, we get a great damn number. We get, you gotta have a gimmick. And it's these three aged burlesque dancers, strippers for lack of a better term, telling Louise that she needs to get a gimmick. The one thing I love, and then I want to ask your opinion on this song, is each of their gimmicks are beyond bizarre. Truly have no connection to it. Like one of them is a trumpet player. One has uh, lights connected to her uh, costume. And the other one mixes ballet and dance, but very poorly. And the names are also, you got Mazeppa, Tessitora, and I forget the other one. Uh, Electra is the, the Electra. And I just, it's such a stupid number. What, what do you think of Gotta Get My Gimmick? It's fun. We can't argue so, that. Yeah. So Gypsy Rose Lee, the burlesque performer, was known for her gimmick of like, basically not taking her clothes off. Um, and she talks about that later in the show. But I think this, this song plants the idea in Louise's head that she can be a star without talent. She's been told her whole life she's not talented. Whether or not she is um, doesn't really matter. She thinks she's not. And she knows she has no future in vaudeville. But I think this song, with these three clearly like untalented performers, talking about like, it's okay to not have talent. You just have to have a gimmick. And like, they're clearly, you know, making a living for themselves. Um, it plants the idea in Louise's head that like, she's, she could potentially have a future in yeah. the performing arts. Absolutely. Um, and I don't got to pull my notes back up. I yeah. And I don't do really it. think, I don't think it dawns on her. Like, I don't think she's thinking about this as she's watching this number. I think it dawns on her later um once she's yeah. pushed out into the spotlight again she's like oh yes. i can do this i don't need to be talented um yeah. but um, in the moment i think she's just enjoying the show oh absolutely um and kind of the one thing that i love is um that and it's so smart rather than having young burlesque dancers these are old aged women which kind of reinforced that idea that okay that she can do it but for audience members you gotta have a gimmick, might as well just been, you might, you just need a shtick. And we're just, as audience members, we're just laughing at all of them, because even in the music, you can hear it, and I'll highlight it, when they each do their gimmick, they do it very poorly. And even, like, uh, Electra's, uh, in all, most stage productions, the lights flicker, because they're barely working. And um, Tessa Torres, she's, like, doing these ballet dances, and then on a dime, we'll just thrusts and you're like oh a little jarring but the one thing that i do love with this song is just the round at the end when they all come in and start saying and you gotta have a gimmick and it just comes in and you get a classic musical theater ending with arms out and it's just fun but it's really a big it really sets up the, I think, probably the most transformative number, or one of the most transformative numbers. In the show, we get this 10-minute-long strip sequence, which, like you had mentioned, um, Luby, a stripper, uh, calls out, or is not there, missing She gets whatever. arrested, yeah. Oh, that's what it is. <laughs> and Rose is then like, Louise will do it. 
And Louis is like, what? And Rose literally just says, just walk around the stage, take a glove off and over the shoulder, and that's it. You don't need to strip. Which makes Louise a little more comfortable doing it. But what I love is in the song is the song that she chooses to sing. Because it's the only music that they have, but they sing Let Me Entertain You. Which is jarring because it we've seen it performed by children and people pretending to be children. And now we hear it as a striptease. I love in the stagings of this show how disturbed Louise looks as she's like singing these words. And like when she first starts off, it's so funny. And I was watching the clip of Laura Benanti doing it this morning and she's so good. Um, but just like, and if you're real good, I'll make you feel good. Like it's, she's it's like, so mm. disturbing hearing it in this context versus like a little kid singing it in a cutesy way. Um, so My she's turned this like, like innocent song into this like Gypsy. sultry, like yeah. strip And there's cues. even the moment that I've just discussed also when she's like, Hey, what's yours? She's realizing it's all older men and she's just like kind of shudders, but there is the turning point. I forget what the line is, but there's the turn uh, right when she kind of says, and Mr. Conductor, if you please, which is kind of like, okay, maybe it's not confidence, but she's like, I can at least barrel through this. And then what I love with this song is rather than like ending there, we basically get to see her meteoric rise. And what's so unique is she's doing it without Rose. Rose never told her what to do. We see that in the second part when she says, My mother, who got me into this business, always told me, make them beg for more. And then, don't give it to them. But I'm not my mother, so if you beg for more. Here you go. And give it to you. just theater going for singers, what I love is she starts off as like very quiet and then ends belting. We just see this huge transition. What do you think is so important, at least for Louise's character with this moment, especially in the later half of the number? Yeah, well, I think I want to go back for a second and talk about oh, yeah, right yeah, absolutely. the song because we have that like amazing moment where Louise looks in the mirror and says, I'm a pretty girl, mama. Yes. And oh, she's absolutely. like, something clicks for her and she's like, okay, like maybe I can do this. And, and she's slowly realizing throughout this song and like throughout, you know, her, her progression into stardom that like this is where her power lies she's reclaiming her power she's finding her voice finding her confidence and her whole like shtick aside from um not taking things off was breaking the fourth wall and like talking to her yeah. audience and engaging them and i think throughout this she's kind of realizing like even in the very the beginning of the song when she's like um what did she say like how are so, you sir hello everybody my name's rose what's, oh, yours? Yeah. what's yours oh, my name's gypsy rose louise how are you tonight yes. Sir. Um, she's kind of like playing with talking to the audience and then she gets more confident with it. And like by the end, she's like having conversations with them and taking some clothes off, but being very like coy about it and not actually showing things. So she's staying true to her brand. Um, but I love this progression. I love like watching her climb to the top from from thinking she's like this ugly, like untalented, like newsboy. Um, no. in her sister and her mother's shadow up to like full stardom. And I think like from the second she 
looks in the mirror and says, I'm a pretty girl mama, like Rose is out. Like this is no longer Rose's story. Yeah. And you really see the progression uh, in the music because the orchestra gets bigger at each like station. Cause we see Kansas city, Philadelphia, Detroit. Yeah. Detroit. Um, and then it ends with Minsky's. And the Minsky's one, she has backup singers and has this whole funny moment where she's speaking French and then says, and that concludes my performance in French. And then she goes on this whole thing about uh, learning Greek. And then she feels so confident. And what I love is, again, we've said it before, Rose is nowhere to be seen. Louise is doing this really on her own. She made, even in gimmick, she made the decision to work the burlesque that night. It wasn't Rose's decision. Rose was about ready to leave. And I think because of that decision, Louise finds herself finally and is okay with the spotlight because it's her spotlight. It's not her mom's. I think she makes the decision to get Rose's approval. I don't think she necessarily wants to go out there and strip because I think she's like scared to do it. Yeah. And uncomfortable oh, she's absolutely terrified. Like at one point she screams mama and yeah. Rose just goes, a glove, take off a glove. Um, I, yeah. So I think she's initially doing it. Like Rose gives her the push and she's like, okay, I'll do it. Like I want your approval. But yeah, you're right. As, as she, as soon as she goes up on stage, like Rose is out of the picture. This is Louise's narrative now. Yeah, and it leads us so beautifully into, I have in all caps, holy grail of 11 o'clock numbers. Uh, but before we talk about there, there is this powerful, powerful scene uh, called the dressing room scene, where Rose and Louise are fighting, like no tomorrow, because Rose comes back in and tries to control everything. But Louise like screams, mama, it's my life. You have nothing to do with this. Um, and because Rose also tries to bring out the old scrapbooks of vaudeville and Louise is like, get that away. No one needs to know this. And uh, Ro- Louise fin- finishes by saying like, mama, you have to let go, get out. And then Rose comes out of the dressing room and is conveniently on an empty stage. How how fitting. And we'll be right back after this short break. And we're back. And we get this great number, Rose's Turn. Here she is, boys. Here she is, world. Here's Rose. And before I ask your opinions to start off, I have this quote from Patti Lapone, who played this role impeccably. She says in this song, uh, Rose has tunnel vision. She's driven and she loves her kids. She is a survivor. I do not see her as a monster at all. She may do monstrous things, but that does not make her a monster. So what is your initial reaction to that? And then what do you just think about Rose's turn? Yeah, I think no villain thinks that they're a villain. And I don't necessarily think Rose is a villain either. I think she obviously is flawed and you know, pushes her daughters to do things they don't want to do. And in, in a way, like through that alienates herself. But I think she's coming from a place of love and from a place of support. And like, she wants 
she wants a better life for her daughters than she had for herself. And I do think, yeah, I think she, she's confused as to why Louise is pushing her aside because in her mind, she's done nothing but help her her whole life. She's put her into this position. She kind of like started her rise to stardom. Um, so I think she's genuinely confused as to why Louise kind of resents her for it. And the, to me, this song in itself is a nervous breakdown. Like, oh, 100%. Rose is spiraling. She, it, it has all the different elements of different songs from the show. And she's, she's going back through them. She's remembering. She's... Trying to, like, make sense of, of everything that's happened. And it's this, like, big, brilliant number where Rose is like, I need to finally get my turn. But she is spiraling yeah and it what i love is that it starts with she's fantasizing about a crowd like she's like mm-hmm. here she is boys here she is world here's rose and she kind of starts to do a burlesque style and what i love is she also she mocks her daughter hello everybody my name's rose what's yours in a very similar intonation to the last part of the strip but is like angry about it. That whole part is just her saying that like, she's got it, which goes back to some people and it's heartbreaking. And then it gets to the part where she's talking about like, mama's got to go. Mama's going strong, mama's moving on, mama's And that moment to me is just, the whole thing's a spiral, but just that spiral in the mama section is just, she goes from just mama's talking loud, mama's a star, to mama's got to move, mama's got to go. Mama. Dear Lord. Mama. What is going on in this woman's mind? What is, before I keep talking, what is your favorite part of Rose's turn? That when you get to listening to it, you're like, I'm in it. I'm in it to win it. Oh, I'm looking through right now. There's this whole song is just so good. Um, me, I think it has to be. I think it's. Why did I do it? What did it get me? After, after the she kind of spirals and that realizes, is mine too. Because it starts off, she's like, "This is my moment. Like I'm here. My daughter's ungrateful. Like this is my time." And then she's kind of like, "Let's think about that for a second. and then kind of trying to remember and realize, you know. Yeah. She's reflecting back on on her life and her relationships with her daughters. But what I what I also always love with this moment, and um, Sondheim has uh, spoken to this as well, that in the song itself, when she never truly answers the question, "Why did I do it? What did it get me?" In the song, she says, "Wasn't for me, Herbie, and if it wasn't for me." still saying that like my actions i didn't do them for me i did them for my kids but we and she all truly believes that she truly believes that but and and she does she only says the true reason in the final scene at the end when she's like maybe i did do it for me but what i love is that even though she's in this downward descent traditionally i think you would have her discover that she did it for herself and you think that she does when it, we get to the, it's my turn, mama's talking loud, 
And then at the end, everything's kind of No, she never, she never found it. And I do love that tempo change. Yes. When it moves from the breast and you just hear the. I love So softly. And when it's staged, Rose is just wandering around the stage, quite literally spiraling. And then it shifts again, very scarily into the everything's coming up Rose phase when she says, this time, boys, I'm taking the bows. And it leads us into, I think, the most iconic part of the song for me, when she is just screaming. And then the last one is just sits on a tremolo as she just goes. so powerful about ending that way on all those four me's for Rose. She's she's reclaiming her time because in her mind she in her mind everything she's done has not been for her. She's she hasn't recognized that yet as you said and now I think she's saying okay fine like nobody wants to be with me like I, you know everyone resents me that's fine this is my time now like now I'm going to start acting for myself and it's ironic because the entire time she's been acting for herself (laughs) but I think it's a powerful moment for her personally because she's she's you know reclaiming supposedly lost time yeah oh totally and it also so it ends on the tremolo and then the trumpets kind of explode and they explode a little triumphantly and that was a bone of contention between Jules Stein and Stephen Sondheim and Sondheim wanted it to end on um, a dissonant chord with trumpets, but just to like kind of create this mood of like unfinished business. But he says he's happy with the way it turned out because sometimes a theatrical truth takes precedence over a logical one. If we didn't let an audience express its enthusiasm for the performer at the end of a song, he insisted. They would sit there in a distracted state, unconsciously waiting for the curtain call when they could tell Ethel how terrific she was. That's Whereas true. with the triumphant yeah. ending, we get to applaud the, truly, I think not the character, but you're applauding the performer for doing that feat. Yes. Because This song, is an incredible number to perform. Like, yeah. if you perform the song well, it's absolutely insane. And I, I think that, you know, that the 11 o'clock number is a, a big part of the structure of a golden age musical, or like a classic musical. And I think he's right in terms of, you know, giving the performer their due, even, even though it's sort of breaking the action a little bit or interrupting the action on stage. Because yeah. I, I was just thinking how powerful that would be to end that on like a dissonant chord. And I think it would be so much more effective you're in what you said, like communicating that like unresolved business but I do think like I know like at the end of a number if I and I want to perform to, to applaud the performer I like felt that when you said that um the audience would be sitting there uncomfortably like I felt that like I know exactly what what you're talking about because um, there are some numbers in theater where it like just ends so jarringly that it never gets an applause. Yeah. And I think like if that was the case, this, the whole next scene, which is so important, 
wouldn't have the same effect because I think like the next scene coming right on and like, you know, even Louise standing there applauding, like that kind of like reaffirms that unfinished business. Like it's okay. There's more to come. Like here we are. Yeah. And so then to talk about the scene while we wrap this up, Louise comes in and they, what's, what is interesting is productions do it very different. Each production does it differently. Some productions, uh, it will, it always ends with basically Lou, uh, Rose saying, maybe it was all for me. And as audience members, we're like, we got that from the beginning. Thank you for finally realizing. But what's different is whether or not Louise forgives Rose for everything. Sometimes Louise just walks off and Rose follows, basically showing that Louise is now on top. And sometimes they leave arm in arm, saying that they are completely forgiven. I just think it's, it, it's beautiful that it can be done either way and works this, effectively the same way. But that it's, it is, it's so satisfying for the audience members just to see that scene afterwards. And whether or not it's a calm ending, we still as audience members get the satisfaction of a story tied in a bow, almost, even if it's unfinished. I love that like image, like tied in a bow. I think it's the, it's the most subtle ending possible, but I think yeah. it's so effective that way. There is no res like resolution. Um, it's yeah. totally open to, open to interpretation. And I think that's so special about this show. Yeah, it's perfect. So we've gone through all the songs and this background story. So why do you think this song is considered the best book musical and best musical ever written oh that's simple so, question that's I know. so hard um <laughs> i've literally taken classes about this and i like still can't answer this question not because there are bad classes there are wonderful classes but like it's there's so much to think about with this show i think the okay i'll, I'll talk about my personal opinion not factual things oh yeah um, opinion, of course <laughs> i love when every word in a show is important. And I think every word in the show is important. Um, and I think like what I was saying before, even the number all I need is a girl, which seems kind of like thrown in there um, or gotta get a gimmick. Like it seems like it's there for audience, um, for a spectacle and like just for a crowd pleaser. They're so important as to like what they lend to the characters. So I do truly believe that every word in the show is important. And I, I, again personally I'm super super interested in like vaudeville and early theater and stuff like that so I I love the source material so this is yeah. definitely one of my favorite shows and I think it it really does like uphold that book musical like category yeah. and it that's the why perfect book musical yeah of course that's why I also like like and you put it perfectly every word matters you can't take out a the or an and it just fits and it's so natural too. It's not um, like sometimes where words can be very specific, but you can imagine each character saying these. Um, and I also just love it because this is a show that created a role that is iconic and it is canon. And any woman that plays Rose, you're handing them a silver platter to interpret it their own way and in a way to always succeed. 
Because, like, I mean, if you've got that role, it's like you can do it. But then once you have it, it's going to be hard not to succeed because the material is stunning. And that's why this role has uh, four Tony nominations, five Tony nominations, almost every production of Gypsy, every Rose is nominated. And it has three wins. Angela Lansbury, Tyne Daly, and Patti LuPone. And it's just iconic. Um, so we'll end on iconic because it's iconic. And I just want to say thank you again for taking the time out to talk about Gypsy, a musical fable. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was really fun to kind of go back down memory lane and like dig through some old notes and, and uh, rediscover a musical that I absolutely love. Well, I truly appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Broadway Babble with me, Matt Barry, and my special guest, Hannah Weaver. If you have the time, please remember to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you stream your podcasts. And also remember, find us on Facebook at Broadway Babble. And remember to like us and tell us what show you want to hear me and my friends talk about next. So I hope everyone has fun and stay babbling. And we'll be right back after this short break. And we're back!